0: Well, it is just a great honor to be here with you guys today. I I live in North Carolina, Raleigh, but I'm from Georgia, pardon the expression, uh, and I love, I want you to know I've been an avid Georgia Bulldog fan my entire life. I know it, nobody's perfect, amen? But about two, three years ago, it finally occurred to me, Georgia cannot beat Alabama, All right. So I have now become a an avid fan, Crimson Tide fan. I want you to know that, you Auburn people, God have mercy on your souls. Okay, but I love Alabama unless they're playing Georgia. I love Alabama, but even then, I already know what the, I already know what my destiny is. Okay, uh, but anyway, so glad to be here today and to have an opportunity to partner with you guys. What a great church is this! I love everything about. Love your the music. Uh, Chris, I don't know if he's sitting out there. There you are, Chris. I figured you're outside smoking. But uh, what a great job you did up here, buddy. You and your whole team. I love, I love the song. I'm in a lot of churches. And every song you sang today, there was depth to it. There was meaning. It was just so, it was good. And so just so glad to be here. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you for the opportunity. I, uh, what we do is we start... Churches by making disciples who make disciples. We make disciple makers. And when you go into a village where there is no church, never been a church, and you lead someone to Christ, and they in turn reach a family member or two, you don't have to tell them to do it. Those new believers will gather together. You don't have to twist their arm, you don't have to offer coffee and donuts. They will just gather together. And when they gather together, they'll worship the Father, and they'll study the Scriptures, and they'll pray, and they'll fellowship. Basically, the result of making disciples who make disciples is churches begin to spring up. And so that's what we do. And we do it in parts of the world where there are very few or no churches. Think you're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, animist parts of the world. God has seen fit to bless the ministry. I take absolutely no credit for it. Has no, nothing to do with me. In fact, it's in spite of me, I guarantee you. But God has seen fit to bless. We're seeing just thousands of churches started around the world. We've, we've figured out, we've taken out, I shared in the class this morning, we removed what I call the three S's from the equation, which are salaries, sanctuaries, and seminaries. And by doing that, we lower the cost of church planting. So we're able to start a church over about a two year period for about, it comes out about 85 cents a day for a year, half of that for two years. And so we're able to start churches where there are no churches. And uh, I want to show you a few pictures because I want to make sure you understand what I'm talking about by churches. We're not talking about churches as we understand them here in the States. Put the first picture up, up if you would. See the guy on the left there? He's a Tim, what we call a Timothy. He's a businessman. And the guy on the right is the pastor. We call him the Paul. We call the businessman the Timothy. And the Paul trains the Timothy, member of his church, to lead his neighbors to Christ. He goes out and shares Christ where he lives, works, studies, shops, and plays. And that long line of people you see there are new believers that Timothy led from his area in one year's time. They're now being baptized. And so that's, that's what when we talk about planting churches. That's what we're talking about. By the way, that church meets on a rooftop. The second year, the line was even longer than that. And you put all of those people on that one rooftop, it's a little bit, I was afraid the thing was going to collapse. But that's what we're doing. So some church, John, funded the training of that guy, and that's one year's worth of fruit. Look at the next slide. This little old lady, her name is Kali. Kali is the name of a Hindu deity, and Kali was one of the people standing in that line. She was 83 years old, and she kind of... Uh, caught my attention because i was standing behind her and the poor little thing was bald in the back and us bald people we like to stick together amen and so i started talking to her through the translator she was 83 years old as soon as the timothy there the businessman shared christ with her she accepted jesus listen very closely she wasn't rejecting christ she didn't know who he was do you know why she didn't know who he was nobody had ever told her when she heard the name jesus when she heard the gospel she accepted the lord let's move from asia let's move to africa this little lady her name is rhoda she's even older than the last lady she's 90 years old now rhoda looks very helpless and very frail and very thin and like she wouldn't hurt couldn't hurt a fly let me tell you something That's the meanest old woman on the face of the earth right there. She is one mean old... She's been an illegal bootlegger her entire life. Tough, as we'd say in Georgia, meaner than a junkyard dog. Just as tough as she can be. Well, the Timothy started a church in her little village, and Rhoda's granddaughter accepted Christ. And we teach our new believers, as soon as you come to faith, as soon as you know Jesus, go tell someone. You don't have to wait six months I mean, you've been, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Uh, Just go tell someone. You know, when when does, let me ask you all a question. When does a candle give off light? Does a candle give off, does a candle say, oh, I can't give off light until I've been through six months of training? Is that what the candle does? No. You light the candle and it what? It gives off You've been lit by the power of God. Our God is a consuming fire, and he lives inside of you. Jesus said, don't hide your light under that, that basket. And so we teach our new believers, the day you come to Christ, tell somebody uh, your story. Tell someone what Jesus has done. So, granddaughter thought, uh, the, the Timothy said, who do you know that really, really, really needs Jesus? And granddaughter thought, mean old Grandma Rhoda. There's nobody that needs Jesus worse than her. So she went and she told Grandma Rhoda about Jesus. And guess what? Grandma Rhoda accepted Christ on the spot, 90 years old. She wasn't rejecting Jesus. She didn't know who he was. Do you know why she didn't know who he was? Nobody had ever what? Nobody had ever told her. Well, then Rhoda said to granddaughter, what do I do next? Granddaughter said, I don't know. I've only been a Christian for like three hours. I'm not really sure. But I remember them saying something about being baptized. Grandma Rhoda said, "What is baptized?" She said, "I don't know. I'm new at this, but I think they stick in the water." And so Grandma Rhoda said, "I want to be baptized right now." Granddaughter said, "You can't be baptized right now. You've got to wait till next Sunday." Grandma Rhoda said, "I don't want to wait till next Sunday. I want to get baptized right now." And if I was 90 years old, I wouldn't want to wait till Sunday either. Amen. And so they called the Timothy, there he is in the white shirt. And they baptized Rhoda there in the in the river there close by. And everything I've told you is the gospel truth except this next statement. I'm not sure if this is true, but somebody told me, Pastor John, that before they put Rhoda in that river, that river was clear as crystal. I mean it was just clear as it could be. That's one mean old woman, I'm telling you. So anyway, that part may not be true, but this is this gives you an idea of what we're talking about. Look at the next picture. This is a what we'd call a tree church. In in West Africa, even people in Georgia can figure out why we call it a tree church. Okay, do you see it there? They're meeting under the tree, little village, and the whole the whole village accepted Christ. I just I get to see this; it's so exciting, and it's hard to see it in the picture. But in between the two trees, there, there's a guy sitting on the ground with a baseball cap on. Turns out he's the the chief of the village, and with the Timothy, the guy in the bright red sweater, there realized that the chief was seated on the ground with everybody else. He got a little nervous. That's not protocol. Usually they bring out the chair of honor. It's an old white beat up, like an old Kmart, Walmart type plastic chair. And they bring it out and the chief sits in the seat of honor. And so the Timothy said, sir, you should have been seated in the seat of honor. Why are you on the ground with everyone else? And here's what the chief said. He said, yes, you're right. Usually they bring out the seat of honor and I sit the chair of honor and I sit there. He said, but you have come and you have told us about, Chris, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who, who was sacrificed for me. And he said, I have accepted him, and from this day forward, when he is the topic of discussion, I will sit on the ground at his feet. Can somebody say amen? Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's what we mean about plant. This is This is a church for us. We're not talking about the old here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, out come the people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bodies of believers, men and women who accept Christ, and Christ comes to live inside of them, and they gather together, and they worship, and they praise, and they study the Scriptures, and they pray for one another, and they, and they, they fellowship together, and they're trained to make disciples who make disciples, and they go all in their area doing that. Look at the next picture. This is a place in, in Asia. They actually built a building. The reason I show you this picture, is one of the first churches we planted in this country. In six and a half years, they started 29 additional churches. Now, you do the math. I, I, I'm an old church planter. It's hard to start 29 churches in six and a half years. See the kid with the guitar on the front row there? He's a Timothy. There were 24 Timothys and what we call Titus's Timothy's Timothy, in that auditorium that day, 24 more being trained to start churches in the 29, uh, uh, in addition to the 29 that had already been started. So, this is what's happening around the world. The church is growing, it's just so exciting to be a part of it. Look at uh, one more slide and I'll get into the message. Every church that we start, we ask that church to significantly impact in some way, either an orphan or a widow or a trafficked uh, sex slave, and so we're taking care of tens of thousands of orphans right now. I was walking into a village in Africa, West Africa, and just outside the village, there was a mound of dirt there. It looked like a giant anthill, and in the top of the dirt, it looked like someone had taken a, a whiskey bottle, broken it, and stuck the whiskey bottle in the top of the anthill and the guide that was with him, he said, Dr. David, don't step there. I said, why not? He said, that's their God. This was a voodoo village in uh, Benin, the birthplace of voodoo. And he said, that's, they worship that God here. I said, it's not a God. It's like a pile of dirt with a broken whiskey bottle. And he, he said, well, they, they think it's God and they worship it, so don't step there. Well, I, I walked on into the village and I saw this little fella. He was standing there. And he just broke my heart. At the time I met this kid, I had several grandchildren about his age. And he was standing there in the middle of the village crying. It's hard to see it in the picture, but he was crying. And my heart just went out to him. You say, He's an orphan? Yeah, he's an orphan. There are millions of them. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There's millions of them. I've never been any place in the developing world where you don't see orphans just everywhere. You say, Where does he sleep? Under a tree? Under a bush? somebody's porch you say what does he eat out of the garbage whatever the dogs don't get to that's what you say what does he do when he gets sick he just hurts he cries you say what happens when he cries who helps him nobody nobody you say David are you trying to make me feel guilty I'm trying to wake us up we live in a great country God's been good to us we have been blessed you and I are blessed more in one day than this little kid's been blessed in his entire life. And ladies and gentlemen, they're out there by the millions. And so every church that started, every single church is asked to take care of one of these little orphans or a widow or maybe someone that's blind or a trafficked slave. And that leads me to the next slide. We are asking your church to partner. We, we've presented a project to, to you guys to consider In a particular country where there are hundreds of thousands of villages without a single church, we're asking you guys, the red villages you see there have no churches. Never been a church there. We're asking you guys over the next two and a half years to paint 100 of those red villages green. A green village means there's a church there now, gospel preaching church, where people can hear about Jesus. We're asking you guys to plant 100 churches over the next two and a half years. Now... This is going to take some funding, but more than that, next slide, guys, more than that, it requires prayer. Oh, it requires prayer. I was in the group this morning that met, and several of you, it just touched my heart, several of you came up and said, I want to pray. If you're watching online, if you'll just take a picture of that slide and go to that site. For those of you here, I'm going to be standing right over here on the floor over here when church is over. Come see me, and I'll give you a card. It'll take just a moment to fill it out, but more than we need anything, we need prayer. Uh, Myanmar just had a big coup a couple of months ago. Hundreds of people have been killed. The week of the coup, we had over 4,000 Timothys ready to start their training to plant churches. It all had to be put on hold, over 4,000. Just incredible things are happening there. We need prayer. people. Are martyred people are beat up their homes are burnt to the ground churches are blown up we need more than we need the funding we need the prayer let me ask god do y'all believe in prayer say amen if you do you believe in prayer I, I plead with you take a card when the service is over and don't don't worry about getting to the restaurant the methodists are going to beat you there anyway amen so just just uh just take a card Take a moment, just drop it there, and, and I will get it. Uh, I often tell churches this. If you, came up to me, if you come up to me after church, and if you were to say, David, which would you rather have? $10,000 to plant churches, or for me to join your prayer team? My answer would be, can I please have both? Okay? But if you say to me, No, you can't have both. You've got to pick. I'll take the prayer. And if you don't believe me, try me after church. I will take the prayer. There are some, when when you're in areas where they've been worshiping false gods, idols, and demons for thousands of years, all the money in the world is not going to change that. Jesus said this kind comes out by prayer, prayer and fasting. And that's what we really need. So if you believe in prayer, if, you, if, you, if you're willing to, to partner together that way, please see me after the service. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of urgency. Urgency. It is my prayer that someone will leave this room today with a sense of urgency. Not just, I've got to do something, but I've got to do it now. And I want to start with the most famous verse in the Bible, John three, sixteen, and the following verse seventeen, which reads, "For God so loved the who did God so love? Talk to me. God so loved the yeah. Talk to me now. For God so loved the how much did He so love the world? So much that He gave His only begotten Son. That's Jesus. That whoever whoever in the world believes places their trust, their dependence." In Him, Jesus, should not perish. That's another way of saying dying and going into eternity lost, separated from God forever and ever in a place called hell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. And sometimes when we think of eternal life, we're thinking of a duration of time. And certainly that's included. But later in John, Jesus would refer to our life we receive through Him as abundant life, real life. Life worth living. Life where you know God, and God knows you, and you talk to Him, and you hear His voice in your heart. And there's peace, and there's purpose, and there's joy, and there's hope. And on top of that, when you die, you, you, you move into his home forever and ever with him for all eternity. That's what he's talking about here. So God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Jesus to die for us so that it, once we put our faith in him, we can have eternal life. But then verse 17 kicks in, 4. 4 is a connecting word, the same context. Jesus is talking to the same individual. His name is Nicodemus. Jesus didn't stop at the end of verse 16 and say, Nicodemus, that's the big one. Go home and memorize that verse. No, he continues the conversation. By the way, I've always felt sorry for verse 17. Everybody memorizes verse 16. Nobody memorizes verse 17. But Jesus went on. Same context. He said, for, connecting word, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the... World, but that the world through him might be saved." In the most famous verse in all the Bible and the verse that follows it, there's one word repeated four times. It is the word world. God sacrificed his son for the sins of the world. Second Corinthians nine and verse 15. Paul has been writing to the church at Corinth about the subject of giving. He's been talking about being a cheerful giver, and, and if you give a little, you, uh, you give more, whatever, just all the stuff out there about giving. But he gets to the very end of the chapter, and he says, thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. In other words, we give to our God gold and silver. He gave to us a gift that you can't even express, the gift of the precious blood of Jesus Christ Paul referred to it as God's inexpressible, or some versions would say unspeakable gift. Have you ever tried John preaching on the cross? I know you have. You know you're going to fail before you even get... How do you you adequately describe the cross of Christ? It's inexpressible. It's unspeakable. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I fear that God's unspeakable gift has become today unspeakable in another way, in the sense that it is not being spoken. Let me ask you, how many people walked up to you in the last week and tried to tell you about Jesus? How many people in the last month walked up to you, where you live, work, study, shop, and play, and tried to share Christ with you? And I could even ask, how many have you tried to share Christ with in the last month? I was speaking in a church in Iowa recently, and I asked that question, a 70-year-old lady raised her hand and said, outside of a church building, she said, I've only had one person walk up to me in my entire life and try to tell me about Jesus. And she said, that person actually led me to Christ. The guy sitting next to her was 68 years old. He said, I can think of two times in my life where someone actually walked up to me and tried to share. And I told him, as a 67-year-old man, I can only think of three times. If you don't count the Jehovah's Witnesses, I can only count, think of three times. So between the three of us, we've been alive for over 200 years. And only six times, six times, someone had tried to tell us about it. It is, it is His unspeakable gift in the sense that we are not sharing it with others. We're not telling others. And ladies and gentlemen, when you look at the world, much of the world has never had the story of the cross the story of God's love spoken to them. It is not so much that they are consciously choosing to reject Christ, but rather they do not know who He is. And they do not know who He is because no one has ever told them. Well, that is a background, two truths. Truth number one the world is big, the world is big. Depending upon how you define the word city, the United States only has two of the 20 largest cities in the world. Now, there's different ways to define it. But depending upon the definition you use, you take the 20 largest cities in the world, only two of them are in the United States, and we have none, none in the top ten. I googled last night the population of Alabama. Alabama, as of 2019 or 2018, had just under 5 million people. I'm assuming you're you right at about 5 million people. Now, that's Huntsville all the way through Birmingham and Montgomery and Mobile, the entire, the entire state, some 5 million people. Did you know greater New Delhi, India, has between 25 and 30 million people in that one metro area? So you can take everybody in the entire state of Alabama and take them again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And that's how many people live in that one metro area. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is big. Truth number two, the world is lost. It is lost. It is a big, dark world out there. There are now some 7.7, 7.8 billion people on the face of the earth. Over 5 billion of them will tell you they are not a follower of Jesus. Of the 2.5 billion that claim to be followers of Jesus, that would include all Roman Catholics, all Orthodox. There's over 100 million Orthodox people in the world. That would include your Anglican Communion, 80-90 million. That would include all mainline Protestant churches. That would include all Bible-believing evangelical churches. That would include all cults. I was in Salt Lake City this past week. That would include your Mormons. That would include your, uh, your witnesses. That would include the 10,000 different cults. In other words, anybody that claims to be a follower of Jesus, there's about 2.5 billion of us. Many of those do not have a heart relationship. But let's just set them aside. Let's just say they're safe. They're not. But let's just say they're safe. That still leaves over 5 billion people who will tell you, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. 5 billion, almost 70% of the world. And many of those 5 billion plus have yet to even hear his name a single time. I'm thinking of a country in Asia that has over 350,000 villages where there's never been a church of any kind. There are hundreds of thousands of villages, if not millions of them, around the world that have no Christian presence. You bring your children to church. Some of them are in your kids' services right now. And you pray before you eat. And you tuck them in at night. And you pray over them. And you tell them the Bible stories. And they're raised hearing about Jesus Christ. There are untold millions of people on the face of the earth who have never heard the kind of music you heard this morning, who have never had a pastor like your pastor, John, stand and, and teach the Word of God. They've never had a mom or a dad pray over them in the name of Jesus. They, they've never, they don't even know who He is. They've never heard His name. Hundreds of thousands of villages, some 80 to 90 percent of the villages in Vietnam have never had a church of any kind 80 to 90% of the villages in Sri Lanka don't have a church 80 to 90% of the villages in Thailand don't have a church 80 to 90% of the villages in Pakistan don't have a church 80 to 90% of the villages in Indonesia don't have a church 80 to 90% of the villages in Sudan and Senegal and Guinea do not have a church And what about North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia, all of your stand countries? What about the hundreds of millions in Southeast Asia? What about the Far East, a billion plus in China and all the Far Eastern uh, nations? What about the islands of the sea? What about Europe, post-Christian Europe? There may be a cathedral there. There may be a building there, but it's empty. There's no life. There's no gospel presence there. And what about the United States? I do not know if you're aware of this. Surely you are. We are close to losing our country. Did you know that an unreached people group in Asia or Africa is considered 2% Bible-believing or less? We now have, I think it's now four states, three or four of our 50 states, the percentage of believers that claim to be believe what you believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, shed His blood, was buried, raised again. Salvation is through faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. There are now three or four of our 50 United States where the percentage of people that believe that are 2% or less. If those states were ethnicities, if they were people groups, they would be classified as an unreached people group. Here in Alabama, you have as high of a percentage of born-again believers as any state in the United States. There may be one or two others higher, but I doubt it. And yet, you know as well as I know, most of the people you work with, most of the people in your neighborhood, most of the people you deal with do not have a heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, if you think it's rough in Alabama, it goes downhill from here in the rest of our country. Ladies and gentlemen... The world is big and the world is lost. I told the class earlier that the places we work in, when I go there, usually on the way from the airport to the hotel, the the Uber or the, the driver will ask me, Where are you from? States. What do you do? I'm a pastor. What's a pastor? Guy who works at a church. What's a church? A place where you teach the Bible. What's a Bible? And when I explain to them what the Bible is, so often they'll ask, Do you have a Bible? Can I see it? And I'll pull one out, and they'll pull over on the side of the road, and they'll say, Can I look at it? They've never seen a Bible. They don't know what what a church is. They don't know what a pastor is. They're not rejecting Jesus. They don't know who He is. And the reason they don't know who He is, nobody, nobody's ever told them. 2,000 years ago, the blessed, praise His holy name, the blessed Son of God, having come out of that grave, having having just conquered death, came out of that grave. He gathered His little followers around Him, and He said, I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's coming down. I'm going up. You're going out. I want you to go to the ends of the earth and tell everybody about me. It's been 2,000 years, and I'm telling you, Some 3 billion people still have no idea who He is. So, that leads me to the question, what can we do about this? This is a big, awful problem. Big lost world. What can we do about this? What can we as a church family, what can you guys do to get the gospel to this big lost world and to get it to them quickly? Because, by the way, Every single day, 155,000 people die on the face of the earth without Jesus Christ. You've got about 190,000 people that live in Huntsville. Three quarters of the population of Huntsville dies every single day and goes into eternity lost. 60% of those, have never heard the gospel? We don't just need to get the gospel out to the world. We need to do it now. By the time you gather here again next Sunday morning... Over one million people would have perished without Jesus Christ. So how are we going to tell them? How are we going to get the gospel to them? Very quickly, three practical things you can do. Number one, each of us can give. And I'm talking about through your church. You have a great church here. This is a solid, this place is solid as a rock. If you're supporting this church, good for you. If you're not, get started. Just get started. Imagine what you guys could do. Wouldn't it be something if Pastor John came to you and said, you, like they did in the Old Testament, and said, you guys are giving so much, you need to stop giving. We can't figure out where to spend it. Wouldn't that be a great problem? If you're not supporting your church, start doing so. And start today. You say, David, how much should I give? Here's the answer to that. The answer is, let every man give as he purposeth in his own heart. My answer to how much you should give is to get on your knees and talk to your Father. And whatever your Father tells you to do, that's what you do. If you can trust Him with your soul, you can trust Him with your goal. If you can trust Him with your eternal life, you can trust Him with material things. Every one of us, go to your Father. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. Go to your Father and say, Father, what would you have my part to be? What do you want my family to do? How can I advance your kingdom globally here, near, and far? And whatever your Father tells you to do, that's what you do. By the way, when it comes to missions among unreached people groups, according to the Joshua Project, Finishing the Task and others, 41% of the world is classified as unreached. 1% of missionary dollars, John, 1% goes to that 41% that's classified as unreached. I believe we should not only up the giving, but we should do so strategically. So what can we do? We can give. What can we do? Number two, we can make disciples who make disciples right here. I have a feeling you guys talk about that a lot, so I'm not going to spend time there. But mission begins right here at home. The Great Commission is not just go to the ends of the earth. The Great Commission started in Jerusalem right where they were. You guys have people all around you that don't know Jesus. You're going to meet somebody tomorrow that doesn't know Jesus. You're probably going to meet somebody today that doesn't know Jesus. Yes, I want you to be concerned about unreached people groups. Yes, I want you to to give the gospel to the ends of the earth. But let's start right here where we are, making disciple-makers 95% 95% of born-again believers, according to the Billy Graham Association, will go to their grave without ever having led anyone to Jesus Christ. 80% of the churches in the United States have leveled off or they're in decline. Why don't we ask God to do a work here that's, that, 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 that will just be greater in Ephesians three twenty twenty-one work that none of us could ever even imagine? You say, David, what can we do to advance the kingdom? What can we do to get the gospel out everywhere? We can give and we can make disciples. And finally, we can pray. We can pray. We must pray. That's why I want you to get a card. Can I show you some pictures in closing? Here's a church planter in uh, a Southeast Asian country. He kept talking about Jesus, so the authorities came and confiscated his pig. He's a farmer. They said, if we have to come again, we're going to take your house. That's one of our Timothys, his little wife and baby. That's his little house behind him. You say, David, how can we help that guy? We can pray. Oh, we can pray. We must pray. Look at the next slide. This guy, same area, he lives up along the border with China and up in the mountains. He has a skin disease. If you can see his chest there. You say, why doesn't he go to the doctor? Have you ever been in the mountains along the Chinese border? There's no doctors there. There's no hospital. There may be a clinic. If there is, it's closed, one day a week it's open, there's no medicine on the shelves there's no CVS, there's no Walgreens you say what do they do when they get sick they suffer they suffer they suffer you say David what can we do for that guy we can pray, look at this guy uh, Pakistan walked out of church one morning suicide car blew up the church 30 something believers killed he was dead on arrival at the hospital relative of one of our leaders Happens everywhere, every day. Over and you say, what can we do for these people? We can pray. We can pray. Look at the next slide. This little lady lived up along the in the Himalayas, along the the area of Tibet. That area. Earthquake hit. She went running up the house to grab her little baby. Roof collapsed. Kind of like the Surfside condo. She was smushed in the rubble. She guarded her little baby, she managed to crawl out of the rubble holding her child. By the time she got out of the collapsed house, she just lay on the ground for several days before anybody found her. The roads were all messed up from slides. By the time they got her to the nearest hospital, her legs were so toxic they had to amputate both of her legs. That's why she's all covered up there. Her little baby ended up with just a broken left leg. I want you young ladies especially to take a look at this picture. If you're 25 years old and you're a mother and you live in the Himalayas along the Tibetan border and you just have both your legs amputated, life for you just became almost unbearable. You say, David, what can we do? Oh, we can pray. We can pray. Will you? You say, David, I don't want to go to Pakistan. I'm not asking you to go to Pakistan. I'm asking you to pray. It's a big lost world. Jesus told us to take the gospel. How? Through our giving. Through our personal disciple making. Through our prayer. I want to close by showing you a video. If you guys can show it, just mute it there. John, if you go with me to this country, we're going to sit on those steps over there. The other side of that so-called Holy River. This is a temple that's over a thousand years old. These are real bodies being cremated. These platforms go all up and down the river. They do this hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. Sometimes they're cremated with jewelry on, and so little boys will get down in the water to fish out the jewelry. This goes on. just It never stops. It just never stops. And this is just one temple out of thousands and thousands in just one country. And when you consider in this particular country, 98% of the people plus do not know Jesus. Over 90% of the villages have never had a church. There's at least a 98% chance that these people have perished. And every time I go there, I've been to this place many times. This is where David Platt made the decision to go into missions, the same temple. Every time I go there, I sit on those steps on the other side and I watch the people being cremated. They usually start the fire right in the mouth. And I watch the relatives weeping and wailing. They sorrow as those who have no hope. They know they're never going to see their loved one again. And I sit there and I watch. And I hear the screams. And I hear the groans of agony. And I see the smoke going up. And when it's all said and done, they just push what's left into that holy river. And every time I go there, As I'm sitting on those steps watching, what comes to my mind are these words, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the, to condemn the, but in order that the, through him, might be saved. And then I think, it just seems reasonable to me, somebody ought to tell them. Because they do not know. Last statement. The Jesus who died on the cross and shed his blood and rose again for those people did the same for you. He loves you. The blood of Jesus Christ can wash your sins away too. Today, call on his name. Put your faith in him. Trust him. Accept his grace. Be born into his family. And set out to serve him with all you have to serve him with. It's a great honor to speak to you today. I count it as a privilege. Thank you so much. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, thank you for this great group of people, this great church. Thank you for Pastor John, what you're doing in this place. Lord, use this church in great and mighty ways like no one ever thought possible. And I pray this, Father, in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.